Hi, this is Chris Young. Welcome to episode 31 of Contemplating Life. This week we continue with stories from my senior year at Northwest High School and Robert's Handicap School. Throughout all four years of high school, I continued to have feelings for Rosie Schumann. I've already described how she turned me down when I fell in love with her at first sight at age 12, how we were briefly a couple in eighth grade at age 13, and the heartbreak when she dumped me just a few weeks later. As I gradually matured over the next few years, some things occurred to me that I had not seriously considered before that. What if things had been different? What if she did have the same feelings for me that I had for her? What would our future look like? Although she couldn't walk, she could stand briefly if holding on to something sturdy. She was able to get in and out of her wheelchair on her own. And she was completely capable of living independently with minimal outside assistance. In fact, a few years after graduation, when her mother passed away, she did live on her own. Friends and family helped her with housework and grocery shopping, but in all other aspects, she was capable of self-care. On the other hand, I never have been able to live independently, even though I had much more ability all the way into my early 20s than what I have now. I could never get in and out of my wheelchair, dress, or go to the bathroom by myself. Rosie barely had sufficient capability of taking care of herself, and it suddenly dawned on me that she would not be able to do anything I would need to live independently with her. That would give us two options if we ever got married. Move in with my parents and let them continue to be my caregivers, or hire caregivers to take care of me. Such hired help would probably have to be live-in, they would have to be there in the morning to get me ready for work and possibly transport me there. They would need to be available when I got home and throughout the night. While some of the expense for such help would be covered by allowing them to live there rent-free, it would still be an expensive proposition. I had no doubt that Rosie and I could make a physical relationship work. Without going into too many details, any woman I was with would have to be on top and do most of the work. I'm confident she was physically capable to make that work. But regardless of which living arrangement we chose, my parents or hired help, there wouldn't be much privacy for a young couple. I begin to realize that no matter how persuasive I could be with Rosie, no matter how cool I was, no matter how kind or supportive or chivalrous I was towards her, it simply wasn't going to work. I've never ridden a roller coaster, but I described it like riding a roller coaster. You would enjoy the ups and downs, the thrills and twists and turns of the relationship, crest the biggest hill, speed down the far side, and run smack into a brick wall. If she had ever loved me the way I loved her, we would have crashed into that wall together and suffered terrible heartbreak, knowing that we could never really be together. I simply could no longer envision living happily ever after with Rosie or any other woman with a severe disability. 
I often wondered if perhaps she had realized that much earlier than I did. Although we did talk about our relationship in phone calls years later after graduation, that's one topic I never brought up or asked her about. We had heard about other disabled couples who lived with the parents of one or the other of them, and it never worked out. That doesn't mean it couldn't have worked out for us, but it was the data point suggesting that my fears about the situation were founded. Throughout my senior year, Rosie and I continued to have opportunities for heart-to-heart -heart talks in which we commiserated about living with a disability through our teenage years. At one point, as we were both discussing our loneliness, she suggested we could spend time together outside of school, go on a date of sorts, as long as I understood it was just a couple of friends having a good time, and she was not open to a romantic relationship. Of course, I jumped at the opportunity. Now, the logistics of driving all the way to the east side to pick her up and to go somewhere for dinner and or a movie didn't exactly sound like it was worth the effort. It had to be something bigger than that. At age 17, this was going to be my first date with a girl ever. There was going to be a program at Northwest one Friday evening where a group of touring college performers were going to put on a show. It was similar to a famous group called Up With People, who would go around performing musical numbers and spreading a message of self-empowerment, peace, love, and understanding. I forget the name of this particular group. Rosie agreed to go with me. My mom or dad would drive me to her house on Bozart Avenue, not far from Robert's school, pick her up in my van, drive us to Northwest for the performance, and then drive her home again afterward. Unfortunately, fate conspired to make that something less than I had hoped. It turns out the teachers' union went on strike against Indianapolis Public Schools. One of the top officials in the teachers' union was none other than my science mentor, Mr. Stan Irwin. There was a photo of him in my senior yearbook walking a picket line. My dad was a union sheet metal worker, and I grew up appreciating that much of my lifestyle and my health insurance was provided by the benefit of a union. So I was very much pro-union. Even though the musical program was being presented on a Friday evening and not during school hours, in the middle of the strike, the kids weren't very interested in doing anything at school. There wasn't an opportunity to promote the program very well. The plan was that the teachers would give a lot of hype, but that never happened because of the strike. Rosie and I showed up at Northwest Auditorium with only about 30 other people, a venue that would probably hold several hundred. The performers invited everyone to come down front to make it a slightly more intimate setting. But a group like that depends on getting an audience fired up, clapping their hands, singing along, and sharing a joyous atmosphere. It just wasn't the kind of event it was supposed to be. Rosie and I sat side by side in the aisle near the front, and we enjoyed the show as best we could. 
Well, that wasn't the only event in Northwest Auditorium that I attended. Each year, Northwest Drama Department would put on a play or a musical. I think they might have done two per year. One time they did the musical South Pacific. I was already familiar with the music because my mom was a big fan of Broadway musicals, especially Rodgers and Hammerstein. They did a production of a play called The Man Who Came to Dinner. I seriously considered trying out for it when I heard that the main character is a guest for dinner who slips and falls on the front porch, moves into the house in a wheelchair, and demands that the occupants wait on him. The fall occurs off stage, so I thought perhaps I could play the part. Spoiler alert, he recovers quickly, and then he fakes it. There's a scene where he's alone in the room, gets up out of the wheelchair, and dances around. So much for my opportunity to become a famous thespian. A production of the play Arsenic and Old Lace caused a bit of controversy. The closing line of the play is, I'm not a Brewster, I'm a bastard. Some of the teachers wanted to change it to I'm illegitimate. As far as I recall, the students convinced them to let them deliver it as written. In the movie version, he says, I'm not a Brewster, I'm a son of a sea cook. So even the movie industry had to censor it a little bit. I went to all of these performances alone. Some of my friends were in the productions, and they put on pretty good shows. Although we did have music programs at Roberts, the kids there never had opportunity to see their friends perform in a play or a musical as I did, or they wouldn't have had any opportunity to try out. I might have been able to try out if they had a part for a guy in a wheelchair that wasn't faking it. That's just another thing that the folks at Roberts missed out to by not going to a real school. The gang at Roberts did have the opportunity to see a musical, however. Arsenal Technical High School is just down the street from Roberts. Technically, if you graduate from Roberts, your degree says Arsenal Technical. It was like we were a branch or a satellite campus. Tech did a production of Music Man. And we got to go over there one afternoon and see a dress rehearsal. We had to leave about two-thirds of the way through the play because the buses had to leave to take us home on time. But it was still a lot of fun. Anyway, back at Northwest, our spring musical during my senior year was Guys and Dolls. Rosie agreed to go with me again. This time, the house was packed. We tried to sit in the center aisle where we'd been the last time, but the teachers didn't go for it. Actually, it really would have been a hazard to block the aisle in a crowded auditorium. They suggested we could sit one in front of the other. I rejected that idea immediately. Even if it was a just friends, this was a date. I wasn't going to not sit next to my companion. They suggested we move off to the one side, on a side aisle. We were very near the front, and the floor was not as sloped as it was where it would have been before, so that was okay. 
It was actually more comfortable. We thought we had it settled until the play director saw us sitting there. At some point after the Havana Cuba scene, a bunch of extras were going to run down off stage and out the side door of the auditorium. So they asked if I would move over to sit single file just for that part of the show. So I agreed. We both really enjoyed the show. And even though I know a lot of Broadway music, and I was most familiar with the works of Rodgers and Hammerstein, I was unfamiliar with this show by Ross Burrow and Swirling. Years later, I really enjoyed seeing the movie version with Marlon Brando and Frank Sinatra. It's now one of my favorite musicals. During both dates with Rosie, I parked my wheelchair as close to her as I could. I kept hoping she would put her arm on her armrest and we could at least hold hands. But she leaned over the opposite side of her wheelchair on both occasions. I told my friends she'd give me such a cold shoulder I had icicles hanging off my elbow. In other senior events, somewhere along the way, I took the PSAT and SAT tests. I don't recall my PSAT score, but I found my SAT results. I got a 540 on verbal and a 620 on math. It was good enough to get me accepted to IUPUI. I worked towards a degree in computer science right behind my friend Dennis, who had graduated two years before. Another big event was I had to get a new wheelchair. The motorized wheelchair I'd been driving since fifth grade belonged to the school. Somewhere around the middle of the year, I got a new chair paid for by my dad's insurance. This one had a proportional joystick control with a kind of fly-by-wire circuitry in it. If you're going down a hill, it would automatically control the speed for you. It had 20-inch bicycle tires in the back that were about two inches wide. It was impossible to get it to slide around the corners, going down the big ramp like I could with the narrow tires of my older chair. But overall, it was a much better wheelchair, and I enjoyed the upgrade. That chair lasted throughout college, my two years working after college, and probably another ten years after that. At Roberts, they reassigned my power chair to a guy in junior high named Kelly Garrison, who had Duchenne muscular dystrophy. I mentioned him briefly in episode 20. As the year wound down to a close, the excitement of anticipating graduation became palpable. I had senior pictures taken. I filled out the rental forms for the cap and gown. We planned a big party to celebrate. And then finally, it was time for the senior prom at Robert's school. Kind of as a joke, because I knew she'd say no, I asked Lee Ray Heron, the sister of my buddy Mark Heron, if she would go to the Robert's prom with me. It wasn't a very romantic proposal. I shouted to her as Mark was getting off the bus one day. Hey, Lee Ray, want to go to prom with me? She shouted back, a very disgusted no way. I just laughed. I knew she wouldn't go. I wasn't really that serious. 
Anyway, I'd planned to go by myself again. My buddy Wayman Glass was also going to go stag as well. But he needed a ride. So I agreed to give him one. At one point, a cute freshman girl in a wheelchair at Roberts named Cheryl Fayette, not the one from kindergarten with no arms. Cheryl let it be known through the grapevine that she was looking for a date to the prom and would be open to an invitation from me. She had a really cute smile, long black hair, and a very ample chest that, according to legend, had been thoroughly explored by Alan Whitney one day in the art supply room. Well, I thought Rosie as being sort of sophisticated and elegant-looking. Cheryl was wonderfully cute. By some standards, she was better-looking than Rosie. I went up to her in the hallway one day and said, uh, the word is you're looking for a date for the prom. Yes, I am, she replied. Would you like to be my date? Yes, absolutely. Okay, it's a date. Uh, there's one problem, though. I told her the story about getting my photo taken with Rosie at the junior prom, and the photo got lost. I asked her if it was okay if I did a reshoot with Rosie. She must have been desperate for a date because she agreed. So I ended up getting my picture taken with two different girls at the senior prom. You can see both photos on this website or on the YouTube version of the podcast. That was it. I had a real date for the senior prom with a really cute girl. I rented a tuxedo and I bought her a corsage. This was going to be a real prom. We determined we could get me, her, and my buddy Wayman, all three in my van. Wayman lived on the west side, just west of White River, a little bit off 10th Street. Cheryl lived on the east side somewhere. My mom drove. Rather than wasting money on some cheesy garage band like they did my junior year, the school recruited the Tech High School Swing Orchestra to provide live music. Teachers, parents, and some of the walkers actually danced at the event. <laughs> it was still a pretty lame event, but it was way more fun than my junior year. And besides, I had a good-looking girl for a date. After the prom, there was a party at Rosie's house. All of the kids sat in the living room and ate snacks, and the adults, including my mom, sat in the dining room and drank wine. We all had a much better time at the after party than the actual prom. The only problem was it was crowded in the living room, and somehow Cheryl ended up sitting across the room from me instead of beside me. On the plus side, I got to look at her all evening. The party broke up about 1 a.m., and as we left the house, I realized I wasn't going to have an opportunity to get a good night kiss. Wayman came up with a plan for me. He was going to be the ultimate wingman. He deliberately left his jacket in Rosie's house. As we were about to load the wheelchairs into my van, he said, uh, Mrs. Young, I left my jacket in the house. Could you go get it, please? I was worried someone else would volunteer to go get it, but the trick worked. My mom went back into the house. Wayman turned his back, and I pulled up close to Cheryl leaned over, and asked her for a kiss. 
She agreed, and we did it. It occurred to me later that all over the city of Indianapolis, hell, all over the country, every weekend in late May, there were probably people who were losing their virginity after the senior prom. I was getting my first kiss at the senior prom at the ripe old age of 17, almost 18. Ah, well, at least it was progress. I was always grateful to Wayman for being such a great wingman that night. We took Cheryl home and went to drop off Wayman. It was about 2 a.m. when we got to his house. He lived in a pretty rough neighborhood, and my mom banged on the door to try to wake up his brother. She couldn't get anyone to answer the door. She said it was a bit scary being out there alone, banging on some strange door at 2 a.m. Fortunately, his brother eventually woke up, and he went inside. Now, normally I'm not a kiss-and-tell kind of guy, but this was a special occasion. So at school the following Monday, I was sure to tell the guys all about the kiss and how Wayman was my wingman. When Rosie heard about it, she said to me, I heard you kiss Cheryl outside my house. She said it wasn't such a tone of surprise, and she had a strange look on her face. I go, yeah, so what of it? Uh, don't look at me like that, I said. You look jealous. <laughs> her face turned kind of red, and she giggled. I continued, you don't get to be jealous. You had multiple opportunities at this, I pointed to myself, and you turned them down. <laughs> we both laughed really hard. She never confirmed or denied that she was jealous, but I think she was just a little bit. Anyway, next week we'll conclude this series on my history at Roberts Handicap School and Northwest High School that we began way back in episode 15. We'll talk about the Roberts class picnic, the graduation ceremony, and some sad goodbyes to people who had been my friends for years. After next week's episode, I'm going to take a couple weeks vacation from the podcast. I'll probably begin writing the next series. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to be about. We might go back to religion, my faith journey. We might go right into my college days. I haven't decided. I need to take some time to write a few scripts to get ahead of schedule so I'm not always rushing to produce them at the last minute. Note, all of my back episodes are available, and I encourage you to check them out if you're new to the podcast. If you find this podcast educational, entertaining, enlightening, or even inspiring, consider sponsoring me on Patreon for just $5 a month. You'll get early access to the podcast and any other benefits I might come up with down the road. Although I have some financial struggles, I'm not really in this for the money. Still, every little bit helps. My deepest thanks, as always, to my current Patreon supporters. Your support helps pay for the writing seminar I attend. But mostly I appreciate it because it shows how much you care and appreciate what I'm doing. Your support means more to me than words can express. And even if you can't provide financial support, I'm begging you, please post links 
and share this podcast on social media so I can grow my audience. If you have any comments, questions, or other feedback, please feel free to comment on any of the platforms where you find this podcast. I'll see you next week as we continue contemplating life. Until then, fly safe, everyone.